0: Welcome to Faith, Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. This morning we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that is very much um, one that is misinterpreted. It is one that a lot of people have opinions on. But when you take the whole counsel of the Bible and you put it together, the Bible is very clear what it teaches. All Scripture is given by what? By inspiration from God. It is breathe, right? Inspiration literally means god breathe. So it's God-breathed, and it's good for a couple things, right? It's good for doctrine. What is doctrine? Teaching. It's good for instruction and how to keep the teachings in your own life, how to actually do it. For correction, it calls us out of bounds, right? How many of you watched football this last week, right? There are referees on the field that did what? Called people out. When they were out of bounds, they called them out. When they were off-sides, they called them out. So they were called out. And then it gives us the ability to what? Keep it right. So that's that's what scripture is good for. And as we look at scripture, we, we've been looking at scripture throughout, unlocking the Bible. We talked about different translations of the Bible. We did a really in-depth study of the book of Jude and talked about false teachers, and we talked about re- the reasons for false teachers. As you get closer to the end times, we're gonna see more false teachers. And what we're going to find out now is what are some of the false teachings going to be that are going to come forth as we get closer and closer towards the end times. Because we know that as we get closer to the end times, there's going to be more what? False teachers. More false doctrine being propagated. So we as believers of God's word need to know God's word. So when we see a false teacher, we know what it is, right? So take your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 4 together here in just a second. But before I do, I want to take you back in time a little bit, okay? The year is 2004. The year is 2004. And about 18 years ago, a giant hurricane is in the Atlantic Ocean just churning itself up into a, into a, a megastorm, right? Right? One of the biggest millibar storms that history has recorded. And this storm is out there churning the Atlantic Ocean. It comes across down through Cuba and hooks its way up into the Gulf of Mexico. And as it comes into the Gulf of Mexico, the western side of Florida is buckling down. The panhandle is buckling down, thinking they're going to take a hit. Mobile, Alabama is preparing for this storm, but the storm is tracking straight towards one city, the city of New Orleans. And in 2004, this mega hurricane is barreling right towards New Orleans, creating immense fear that this city is way underprepared for this storm that's coming. a matter of fact, when it was judged, they were judged not to be ready to take a direct hit from any hurricane greater than a three. This one's four in building. And as this hurricane begins to come in, mandatory evacuations are issued. For 12 hours, people sat on highways trying to get out of New Orleans, trying to get out of the Delta area down there. And there were delays on every highway getting out of the city. Because of the massive numbers that are leaving, traffic grinds to a halt. So now they begin preparing alternate shelters. And one of the shelters prepared was the Superdome. And, um... So anybody who was going to get flooded out, couldn't get out of town, go to the Superdome is what they told them. What do you know how this story turned out? Do you remember? In 2004, New Orleans didn't get hit by a storm. Mobile, Alabama did. And because the storm missed New Orleans to the east, they all celebrated the fact that they were saved. They were saved from Hurricane Ivan. But do you remember what happened 11 months later? In the month of September of 2005? A massive hurricane is building in the Atlantic Ocean that goes south of Florida, is coming up, misses the western edge of Florida, misses the panhandle of Florida, and is straight bullseye on what city? And in 2004, New Orleans missed. They dodged the bullet, we'll say. And you would think that they would have learned from past experiences and the warning that the city wasn't prepared, the pumps wouldn't be able to pump the water, the levees aren't going to hold, and you would think that they would have taken that warning and started to get ready in case a future storm would come. But because no storm had ever hit them before, and this storm missed them again, guess what they thought? Their city was good enough. September 2004, they were spared, but in August of 2005, Hurricane Katrina came ripping in there like they had never seen before. And I'm not talking about a small hurricane, it was so massive that $25 billion, yeah, B, $25 billion in damage would be caused by Hurricane Katrina. We all know the story, right? The levees didn't hold. The pumps couldn't keep up. The Superdome was anything but a safe haven. And in the midst of impending judgment and coming storm, the people of New Orleans did absolutely nothing to prepare. Nothing. Even though 2004 was a dry run for 2005 because it had never happened before and and they missed so many others, they fell into a place of false security, a false sense of we got this. And instead, their city was destroyed when they could have been prepared. You know, there is a storm that's going to come. There is a judgment that is still in the future. And what should have been a wake-up call for New Orleans, and we look in New Orleans and say, how dumb were they? But do you remember in the days of Noah, there was a storm coming too? And for 120 years, Noah preached what? It's going to rain. Noah, what's rain? There's a storm coming and God's judgment's coming. You need to repent. Noah, man, you've been teaching this lesson for 120 years. Nothing's happened. Nothing, nothing's going on, Noah. We're still marrying, we're still having fun, we're still eating every day. My grandpa's dead. He died in the amount of time you were preaching. And you know what, Noah? Thanks for the warning, but everything is okay. Guess what time we live in? We live in a time in which there's more access to the Bible than any generation that's ever lived. There is more access to church and God's word in our world today than any other generation that's ever existed in the world. And if you were to go out to the average person today and say, I believe that Jesus Christ can come back at any moment. It could be today. Are you ready? What would the response be that you get? That's cute. That's funny. They've been saying that since the 1930s. Man, we're in 2022. And it still hasn't happened. Well, guess what's still in the Bible? The warning that there is a judgment that's coming, just like the days of Noah, where Noah preached, there's judgment coming. We know for a fact that there's judgment coming. Just like New Orleans knew a storm was coming and they did absolutely nothing to prepare for it, we have Christians, believers, and churches today that are doing absolutely nothing about the fact that judgment's coming. And just like in the days of Noah where they gave in marriage and drank and, and, and enjoyed life and didn't focus on God, we live in a society, we live in a generation, we live in a time in which it's very similar to the days of Noah. Ivan was the warning shot. Katrina was the judgment for New Orleans. It was the knockout punch, if you will. It was judged. How were they judged? Were they judged by God? No, they were judged by the fact that they weren't ready. They professed themselves to be ready, and they were what? They were not. And now history is the judge, right? Were they ready? No, they weren't ready. And you know what? History is the judge for Noah. How many people got in the ark? Were they ready? No, they weren't ready. And you know what? When Jesus Christ returns, I wonder how many are going to be ready. How many are really ready to see Jesus Christ return today? I think if we we're honest with ourselves first, most of us aren't living like Jesus could return today. Many of us aren't thinking that Jesus' return might be even be this next week. We plan, we make plans, we do things, we, 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 we project on Jesus Christ sometimes, you know. Well, God forgive me if I don't really care or if I miss or if I do that. It's not really a big deal to God. And so here we hear from time to time from different people when different events happen in our world that the end is near. And you know what? Sometimes when we hear that, even some of us Christians snicker a little bit, don't we? We're kind of like, well, I don't know. I don't know how close it really is. But let's take Scripture and let's follow Scripture and see what Jesus Christ says about the time before his coming. Now, we know, if, you, if you're saved and you study Scripture, that the return of Christ isn't a one-thing event, Right? There's the return in the air, which is called the what? Rapture. There is the seven-year tribulation period. Then there's a millennial reign period where Jesus comes again the second time. And uh, so we know that this is a little bit linear. So we're going to take, when we say the end times in our study, we're going to be talking about the guaranteed 1,007 years left to go, okay? And that event starts with what, what event? The rapture, okay? So Matthew 24, we're going to see a little bit about the rapture. We're going to see a little bit about the judgment of the tribulation. We're going to see a little bit about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And we're going to study through these things, not necessarily in chronological order, because Jesus didn't necessarily stay in chronological order. But what he's doing is he's talking to his disciples and he's overlooking the temple and he's sitting on the Mount of Olives looking across the valley at Jerusalem below them. And the disciples are going to talk to Jesus and ask him about what are the signs of the end of the, and the key here is this, the end of the age. Okay. What are the signs of the end of the age? Let's pick the narrative now up here in Matthew. And let's look at chapter 24, verse one. And uh, it says this, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he sat on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things be and what will be the, say it together, what will be the sign of your coming and, right, here's a conjunction. What is the sign of your coming and the end of what? What does the end of the age mean? What is the difference between his coming and the end of the age? There's a distinction that's put here. There's a chi connecting these two in, in the Greek. And then look at the first four words of verse four. What does it say? Jesus answered them. There's an answer to what, the, the question. The question is Is this the end? Are we in the last days? Are we sitting on the precipice of the end times? Are we there? Um, if you've ever traveled with kids, there's a the question they constantly ask, right? You pull out of your driveway and the first question they ask is, are we there yet? So we're gonna ask the three-year-old juvenile question this morning. Are we there yet? Are we in the time of its coming? Are we at the end of the age? I mean, with everything going on in the world today, surely we got to be there, right? So as we live life, as we get older, and as we go through different events of history, some of you are old enough to remember Vietnam. I wanted to say World War II, but there's not many of them around anymore, right? That, 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 that generation is passing. Vietnam, some, some people remember where were you when the world stopped turning, Remember that day? That was going to be the start of the end of the world, wasn't it? The Muslims are taking over. Here we go. Well, that was what year? 2001. That was, that was a long time ago now. Kids have gotten married since that happened. That were born <laughs> when that happened. 2001. That was going to be the end of the age, remember? But it's not. Time just keeps going things continually get worse as much as they get better. Man's still dealing with famine, still dealing with pestilence, still dealing with hurricanes and earthquakes and volcanic action and tornadoes and disease and famines. All these things are still going on. How is it not the end of the age? But we need to be clear, the Bible does tell us what the end of the age is going to be like. The Bible does tell us what the return of Jesus Christ is going to be like. So we know these things. We can understand the signs and the times that Jesus Christ is going to return. But the Bible is very clear that no man knows the day or what. Now, I don't know about you, but if I told you that at one minute of your life, something's going to happen to you, how are you going to live your life? Focused on the minute? Or are you going to live your life? Are you going to live in worry and fear that in one minute of your life, something's going to happen? Or are you going to live the rest of your life and have faith that God's going to bring you through that minute? You see, there's two different types of people in the world today. There are those that are living in absolute fear of the future and what the future holds. And those that understand who owns the future. By the way, you sung about it in the second song. Did you catch that? For I know who holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. Do we really believe that? Because I watched during coronavirus. That's not how people lived. I've watched through wars and 9-11. That's not how people live. It wasn't interesting, the revival that happened at 9-11. What happened to that? We couldn't wait to get back to normal life. Remember coronavirus? I just can't wait to get back to normal life. And you see, as Americans and as believers today, we think that health, wealth, and prosperity are normal life. But that's not what Jesus defines normal life like. That's not what his word says it'll be like. And, and there are false teachers that have taught us in our own nation today that health, wealth, and prosperity is what God has ordained for your life. But I hate to tell you how much health, wealth, and prosperity did Jesus have. Jesus said he don't even have a place to live. How many have a place to live? You're doing better than Jesus did. You're already far more blessed than Jesus was. How many of you know where you're gonna stay in three weeks? Where are you going to live? Jesus wandered all over the place, staying in different people's houses, preaching the word, teaching the word. So when we look at our prosperity today, we look at our Bible today. We are looking at it through very skewed lenses, and very little of it is actually what Bible teaches. Because a man, the Bible teaches, if a man's going to gain the whole world, what's he got to do? That's a pretty high price, isn't it? But that's not what the Bible actually says. See, I quoted it out of context, didn't I? That's not what it says. And you see, that's what modern church is doing today. We take a little bit of truth and we quote it out of context, and then all of a sudden we build an entire doctrine that the Bible never teaches off of it. I'm going to show you that here in just a second. We're going to take a look at a couple passages that that happens to quite frequently. But how's the verse really Read. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own? Or what will a man exchange for his soul? In other words, can the world buy your heart? Can the world buy your heart? And if the world's gonna buy your heart, how are they gonna buy it? What are they gonna use to buy your heart from God? Health? Wealth? The very three things that most churches are teaching today. Think about that. The love of money is the root of a little bit of evil. You look at the politicians today, what are the things they're interested in? Power and money. And in our economy, money is power. The billionaires want to to dictate what's going to happen to everybody else. And you know what? All this, the Bible tells us, is, is, is natural to man. It is not natural for people to want to serve God. It is not natural for people to want to sing to God. It is not natural for people to want to pray to God. It is definitely not natural for people to want to read his word. And if you're in the flesh, none of those things are going to appeal to you. But if you're living in the spirit of God... Every one of those should be important to you. Because every one of them is a decision that you consciously make to surrender your will to God's will. I want to worship me. God says, don't worship you, worship me instead. I, I want to do my thing, but God says, no. Yield to me your life, your spirit, your talent, and allow me to lead you where I want you to go. So the Bible is crystal clear when it comes to end time content. The Bible is crystal clear. We don't know when, but we know it is. We don't know how, but we know the one who does. And we don't know to what extent, but we follow the one who does. Right? The second song. Life is worth a living just because he lives. I don't care about the future. I know who holds tomorrow because he lives. Now, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because I know he knows what I don't know. But if I knew what he knew, then I would be different than the way I am. By the way, that's Romans 7, isn't it? Isn't that Romans 7 where Paul is arguing if I knew what Christ knew, then I'd, I would be better. But because I don't, I live in the flesh rather than living in the spirit. If I just yield to the spirit, I wouldn't do the flesh. And oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from myself? In Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The one who holds the future. The one who holds our salvation. The one who keeps us. So the big question right now is simply one. Are we at the end? of the age are we near the end of the age is this what we're seeing in our world today the end of the age well jesus quotes or starts this narrative of the section we're going to read in matthew 24 and 25 the majority of the text that you see in these two chapters are one big narrative and it's jesus on the mount of olives talking with his disciples alone he's with his followers his believers his teachers the ones he's been discipling The one he's been pouring his life into, okay? He's with them, and they're worried about the temple. They're worried about the place of worship. And what does Jesus tell them? See all these buildings? See these walls? See Jerusalem below us? All this stuff's going to be destroyed. All of it's going to be taken down. Not a stone is going to be left on the Temple Mount. What do we know happened in AD 90? The Romans come in and they level the temple. Not a stone left unturned. They take all the artifacts out of the temple. They destroy everything. So this chapter and the next chapter, 24 and 25, are going to all be about the end times. All right? As we get into this. And we're going to begin this sermon series this morning where we're going to cover many subjects regarding the end times. All right? So for the next five, six weeks, we're going to dig deep. We're going to go deep, intentionally go deep. And I praise the Lord the live stream's fixed so that we can we can have this so you can go back and watch it again later on if you want to, uh, to catch up on this. We had a problem with it, some memory, got that fixed, and now everything's working right again. Uh, so if you're watching online, sorry about the last couple weeks. But this morning we're going to talk about what it means to be at the end. And we're going to talk about specifically some of the things that are being misrepresented and misinterpreted in our world today when it comes to this. So right now, if you were to take a snapshot of time, our world is dealing with coronavirus. We're dealing with what some are arguing the beginning of World War III, aren't we? Ukraine, NATO, Russia. These are all important players in end times, right? Ezekiel 38, 39... Now we got Taiwan flaring up, right? Shooting down a drone of China. And now there's drama over there. We got worldwide political issues. We got worldwide economic issues. We've got worldwide military issues. We got worldwide famine and supply chain issues. Man, that would sound like you're in the end times, doesn't it? Many have wondered out loud And I've asked the question that many of others have asked in their heart. Is this the end? Well, I can stand here and tell you today, it's not. Okay? We have not started the time clock on the end time events. We have not crossed the threshold into the end time era yet. Jesus himself tells us we haven't done that. But he does mention that a generation will not pass until all these things be fulfilled. So that kind of throws a monkey wrench into it. So we know that there's got to be a two-fold prophecy here. And again, I told you what at the beginning. Jesus doesn't necessarily give us this in chronological order. But he does tell us, he's answering two questions. The first question was what? What will the world be like when you... When you return? And what is the end of the age? So he's answering two questions. He's not answering one question. And that's the first misinterpreted er, uh, aspect of this passage, is they try to make this event all one thing. It's not. It's a twofold. When are you going to return, and what is the end of the age? Right? So is everything going to fall apart? Are governments going to collapse? And even though we don't want to predict the end, there is always going to be reason for people to want to predict the end, Right? So let's dig into the passage of Scripture a little deeper and let's look at three things um, that people misinterpret when it comes to end times events. Is this the end? What will the end look like? What are the signs, right? Three mistakes. So let's look at them here this morning. I want you to notice the first four words of verse 4 again, though. What were they? And Jesus answered them. I want to focus on this for a second because sometimes we blow over these kind of words because they're in black instead of red. But when the disciples asked the question, what did Jesus give them? Who's the one that knows all things? Who's the one that has an answer to everything? Who knows the timeline of future events? Who's the one that's been there, done that? So Jesus answered. By the way, this is enormously good news for us. This, this, this is encouraging for us because it means that Jesus hasn't left us in the dark. We don't need to wander around in Scripture with a blindfold on trying to figure out what, what's a wall and what's a table and, and what are different objects. We, he's told us what it means. He's shed light on this subject for us. And Jesus has given us insight into what's going to happen. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to try to read into the passage. We don't have to try to manipulate things to see what's going on. Jesus is going to tell us what the signs are going to be and what the end of the era is going to be. So we have good information from somebody who already knows, right? Jesus is omniscient, is he not? Jesus is timeless, is he not? Jesus is all-powerful, is he not? Then he knows. So there's a lot in this chapter and other parts of the Bible that we're going to delve into. And as we do, in the weeks to come, I'm going to give you the scripture passages to support what we're going to be teaching you. But this morning to get going, I want us to focus really on the three mistakes and the big picture that's going on, okay? Mistake number one, people today love to take scripture out of context, okay? People today love to take Scripture out of context and make it say what they want it to say. And I want to share a a thing with you that we learned the first year in Bible study in college, okay? Any text out of context is a pretext for heresy, okay? I, I didn't put it on the screen, but I want you to hear it. Any text taking out of context is a pretext for what? Heresy, So be careful when you use verses that you understand the context in which they're given. Understand how scripture works. Understand what the authors are talking about when they're using verses in their context. Sometimes people like taking the Bible for what it actually says and they pull it from the original context and they make the Bible sound like it says something it's not saying. I already did that to you already, didn't I? Um... If I were to tell you money is evil. Have anybody heard that? Money is evil. It's from the devil. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. What does the Bible actually teach? The love of money, the desire for money, is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, now what are we supposed to covet? <laughs> the Lord. But if you're coveting money over the Lord, then it's going, you're going to err from the faith and you're going to pierce yourself full of what? many sorrows. You're going to find yourself empty. You're going to be like a pot that has holes and can't hold water. That's what it means to pierce yourself through with many sorrows. You're a pot that can't hold water. What gets a pot that doesn't hold water? If you're trying to draw water, it doesn't work. So, this is a particular danger when we get to prophecy because... People like to take things out of context and then try to interpret them in light of events that they're familiar with. Okay? A simple example. Let me give this to you. Psalm four, what if I were to tell you today that Psalm 14, verse 1, says this there is no God? Is that a true fact? Is that what the verse means? Was I accurate in saying there is no God and that verse says it? This is what's happening in churches today. Now this is an extreme, okay? I'm using an extreme example here. What does the verse really say? The fool says in his heart what? Now I don't want to be associated with a fool, do you? I I don't want to be associated with one that doesn't have understanding of what the Bible teaches. Now why do they say there is no God? Well, because they're corrupt they do abominable deeds and there is none who does so when we say, well that person's a pretty good person they'll probably be in heaven. Is that what the Bible teaches? What does Psalm 14.1 say? There's none who does good. That means all men are corrupt. Wouldn't it be great if there was a New Testament verse that said the same thing and made it real concise and Easy to understand. Wouldn't that be awesome if there was like a verse that would help us out with that? I think it goes like this. For all have, there it is, right? And come short of the glory of God. You can't get there. You fall short. You come up wanting. You can't get to God's glory because you're not God. So if we fall short of God's glory, then what do we need? We need God's help. We need God's rescue. We need God's Savior. So, there's a danger of misquoting scripture out of context to get it to say what we want it to say. But any scripture out of context is a pretext for heresy. So, understanding scripture in its context makes the passage say exactly the opposite message of when I wrongly quoted it and said there is no God. Do you see how quickly you can get false teaching? Do you see how quick doctrinal error can enter in? And that's why we as Christians in today's world need to study to show ourselves approved to who? God. Approved unto God. A workman needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing what? The word of truth. If the word contains truth, truth in order for truth to be truth, what must it be? It must be true in every culture, in every age, at any time. In other words, truth is not relative. It's factual. It doesn't, regard, it doesn't matter what culture you're in. It doesn't matter what time period you're in. It doesn't matter what nationality or whatever you're in. Truth is truth. It, it, it supersedes time. It supersedes nationality. It supersedes people groups. So as we're looking at, at prophecy here, we need to understand we need to stay in context when we're studying these scriptures. We need to also be aware that sometimes what people are doing when they apply various Bible passages to current world events is they're trying to interpret Scripture outside of the Holy Spirit as well. They're making Scripture say what they want it to say rather than what Scripture actually says. Okay, So we're going to be intentional about sharing Scripture, but we're going to be intentional about giving you the context of Scripture around it. So again, we see that the need to read the Bible in context and not twist it into something that was not originally intended is what our job is as believers to do. We need to understand Scripture in context, okay? So the number one error when it comes to prophecy is we like to take the Bible out of context. Aren't most of you said that Barack Obama was not the Antichrist? Remember that was going around? Well, before him, George Bush was the Antichrist, and before him, Saddam Hussein was the Antichrist. And before him, do you see what happens when you try to force history on Scripture? doesn't work. Scripture is going to prove itself to be accurate. The number two error, okay? So there's one taking Scripture out of context. The number two error is simply this one. The endless obsession with end times. Have you ever met somebody that every event in the world is the beginning of the end times? Did you see what happened here? What happened there? Now, there are significant events that are going to tell us the birth pangs. There are signs and and things that are helping us understand. How many of you believe we're progressing towards a one-world government? I mean, you you don't have to be really smart to figure that one out, right? How many of us understand that there's a desire for a one-world currency today that people can manipulate, right? How many of you know you're already holding one in your pocket right now? Anybody have a Visa MasterCard? When you spend it in France, is it the same as spending it in Germany? When you use it in Germany, is it the same as using it in America? What currency are you buying at? Well, it depends on the exchange rate. Yeah, you have a one world currency already. It just, is Visa, MasterCard. They're doing the exchange for you. It's already there. The infrastructure's there. They just haven't implemented the worldwide thing. There's an endless obsession with the entire... How many remember when barcodes came out and that was the mark of the beast? <laughs> you know, we, we think about these things post and it's like, that was just absolutely crazy. But at the time, that was real. That could happen. I mean, people are going to walk around with barcodes on their forehead. <laughs> Aren't you glad that never happened? I'm like, here, hi. Ding. But we laugh at that, but what about microchips? What about transplants? What about, and there's this endless obsession with the end times that's there, but you never quite get to where it needs to be to be the real thing, right? It always comes up empty and wanting. There are people who focus, there are writers, there are pastors who focus on nothing but end time events. Um, there's not a ton of them today, but I'm going to share one with you. I'm going to call them out by name because I'm not ashamed to, I mean, he published the books. So if he published the books and did it, then we can look at it, right? How many of you ever heard of a pastor named Heggie? All right. How many have read any of his books? All right. I'm glad you haven't. I mean, they're not bad, but they're not right. Um, let me, let me review some book titles for you from uh, Hagee here and his writings. Uh, He has sold over 500,000 copies of these books. Um, He is one that continues to write, and John Hagee continues to write about end times. And uh, let me share a couple titles here with you, okay? And then I'm going to share with you the dates that go with it. I think on the screen you might have the dates already. All right? So how many remember this book from just a couple years ago? Well, 2013 anyway. It was 10 years ago. Remember the whole fad about the blood moons? The four blood moons and, and Israel's birthday and 70 years of jubilee and, and, and all these things are going to come together and that's the sign of the beginning of the end times. Well, guess what? You all are survivors of the tribulation. Congratulations. You are already in the kingdom of God because it's been more than seven years since 2013, according to my math, right? That would be 2020. 2020. So you're already two years into the new kingdom. Congratulations. We look now and it's kind of crazy. But at the time, people were, this is, this is it, man. This is happening. Look at the calendar. Look what's going on. How about his, his next book? Earth's Final Moments, Powerful Insight and Understanding of the Prophetic Signs that Surround Us. What year? 2011. Now we're further into the the kingdom of God now, right? How about Jerusalem countdown? Back cover. World War III has already begun. Oh, that was 2007. We can back up a little further. From Daniel to Doomsday, the countdown has begun. That was year 2000. Um, we can go back a little bit further. Beginning of the End the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin and the coming of the Antichrist, 1996, year after I graduated high school. Some of you are trying to do math now. I'm 44, all right? Did you notice what happened every time? The title changed, but the message stayed the same. And we ask the question, how is it that these guys stay in business? How is it? Well, between the time they wrote the book and the next book, people forgot. How is it that New Orleans could dodge a hurricane and the next year get slaughtered by one? Are you kidding me? We get lulled back into a sense of we just want to get back to normal. It's a desire. As long as I'm prosperous, as long as I'm content, as long as I'm safe, things are good. But if it's bad, then it must be God in the end times. No, not everything is end times. So then the question comes, like I said, why do people follow these people? They're lulled into a false sense of security. Let's, uh, let's look at number three here. By the way, when somebody is solely focused on prophetic things, often they do it to the extent of their, their personal evangelism. They stop sharing the gospel with other people because they're so fixated on the end times trying to figure it out that they don't evangelize. And that's a danger in being this way. But the last one, this is where the majority of people live, I think, today. There's no thought about the end times. Who cares? I'm not going to be here, so what does it? Doesn't matter. What if Noah said, well, I ain't going to be here for that flood. Doesn't even matter. I'm going to be on the boat. All you losers are going to die. Aren't you glad God sends messengers? Aren't you glad God sends preachers? God sends teachers to warn the lost of the coming judgment? Guess what his church is? We're the Noah. We're the Noah of our era. We are the ones that have the message from God that judgment is coming, and and what are we doing with it? Most people have no thought about it. They don't really care about it. It's just... It hasn't happened in my, my father thought it was going to happen. My grandfather thought it was going to happen. It's not going to happen in my lifetime. Paul thought it was going to happen in his lifetime and it didn't happen. So why should I worry about it? Why should I even care? Why should I warn people? There's no thoughts on the end times. I would say most Americans today give little, if any, thought about heaven, little, if any, thought about hell or eternity in general, really. We just eat, we drink, we marry, we do things, and we don't even really think about eternity. Our world revolves around Sunday to Sunday, then the next Sunday to the next Sunday. And sometimes it doesn't even revolve around Sundays. Sometimes Sunday is the day that we take off to do whatever we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. And you stop and you begin to look at what the culture is around us today and we might begin to see the birth pains of what the end times are really going to be like. And as we get closer and closer to that end time, it actually tells us the church will fall away more and more. The church is going to become more corrupt, not less corrupt. The church is going to have more problems, not less problems. It's going to be even harder for Christians to stand, not less hard or easier. Again, I think many Americans, there's a strong desire for good times that they enjoy rather than the hard times we don't enjoy. I think this was evidenced recently with coronavirus. Remember during the lockdowns, what did everybody want? I just want to get back to what's normal. Post-coronavirus, we're still not normal. But everybody settled with the new normal. The new normal. The new way of doing things. And you know what? We're people who want contentment and what we want. But what if God allows things to happen for his glory? What if God allows things to get messed up so that he gets the attention? What if God allows things? What if it wasn't for us to get back to normal? What if the point was for Christians to have revival? Remember 9-11 sparked a revival, but it was very short-lived because it was, well, we're safe again, so we don't need God. Coronavirus goes by, well, we don't need God. We're good again. So now we'll watch videos from home or we'll, we can skip church again. But man, when we couldn't be in church, everybody wanted to be in church. We were watching at home. We have watch parties at home. We we're doing all that. Now that you can be in church, well, it's more fun to whatever. And look how much we go right back to the old ways. There's no thought about the end times. There's no thought about what God... The fact that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? Jesus is Lord. There's almost no talk about whether the disruptions to our daily life might have been from the hand of God to try to move us from our stupor. Try to motivate us to do something more for him. It's always, I can't wait to get back to normal. I can't wait to get to do what I want to do. What if it really is Christ trying to get our attention? What if the birth pangs before the end times are warning flags for us to wake up from the slumber? What did Jude tell us to remember? Contend for the faith. What's that imply the church isn't doing? They're not contending. They're, They're content. They're happy. Our goal is to begin with the end in mind. What is the motivation for evangelism for Christians? How many people did Noah really want to die in the flood? How many did he build the ark for? Who was invited to come in the ark? Then why did all those people die? They were content with where they were. They were happy with how they are. Their life was consumed with the things that they possessed, not the one that they possessed. And we are living in the very same age as Noah in our time today. We are very much gravitated towards our own desires. We're very much led by our own feelings. And man, this phrase is driving me crazy these days. You just got to follow your heart. Does anybody know what the Bible teaches about your heart? Your heart is evil above all things and desperately just follow your heart just follow your heart it'll all be good if you just follow your heart somebody needs to shoot that cricket need an exterminator no you don't follow your heart it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can get to the bottom of it you know who got to the bottom of it Jesus did when he took upon him the sin of the world, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the children of who? My heart. No. Children of God. What is the source of love? What is the source of joy? We sung about it. the joy of the Lord is our. Is it? Or is it how I feel? Or is it what I think is important? Or is it how I interpret, or how I think the church should be, or how I think scripture should be, or how I think God should answer something? You know what? In the end, it doesn't matter because the end's already done. Do you realize future events are not future to God. They're already done. That's why they're written in the book. They're done. It's set. It it, it it's not gonna change. Just like you're not going to go back and change the flood that happened in Noah's Ark. You're not going to change that. That's done. So too is the future events. You know why? Because guess who holds the future? And why is life worth the living? Because he lives. And you know what? There are some things that are true about our lives. What motivates us? This point here. Our goal is to begin with the end in mind. If the end in mind is this. If America is the most important thing to you, then go all in on America, okay? Hate to break it to you, America's not in the end times, okay? Don't see us anywhere, unless we're eaten up by somebody. Number two, if money is the most important thing, then go all in on money. But understand, the love of money is what? The root of all evil. If popularity is the most important thing, then go all in on popularity, and man, we see churches doing that today. But if Jesus is the most important thing, then what? Then you got to go all in on Jesus. That's what the end times teaches us. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. And in the end, that's what matters. If you're in Christ, then then you're going to get the benefits that come with being in Christ. If you're not in Christ, then this judgment, this era, this age, should be the most important thing that you understand. Because this is where you're going to live. This is the world you're going to be in. And there's not going to be a new normal. It is what it is. It's already done in the eyes of God. He already knows what's going to happen. He already has the people picked out that are going to do it. It's already set. So be ready for what's ahead. This includes knowing what Jesus taught. In this sermon series, we're going to try to teach you what Jesus taught. And we're going to incorporate into that truth how we should live our lives for the glory of God in the age we live. Because as we get older, it's not going to become easier to be a Christian. It's going to be harder. You're not going to have less persecution. There's going to be more persecution. And as we get towards the end times, it's exactly what the Bible says. By the way, in the tribulation, who do they persecute? Think about it. So the government leading up to the end times is going to be friendly to Christians or unfriendly? There you go. So as you see it ramping up against Christianity, know this, it's going to be harder to live your faith. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be for the faint of heart. It's going to be hard. But there's two things I want to leave you with. Number one, God is not just aware of what's ahead. He's the author of what's ahead. Okay? Okay? God is not just aware of what's ahead. He's the author of what's ahead. That's what we learn from prophecy. He's the author. By the way, Hebrews tells us he's the author and finisher of what? Faith, our faith. And number two is simply this. There's a plan and God is the author. There is a plan and God is the author. If you want to know the plan, who do you got to look to? And if you're going to look to God, where are you going to find out what he said? And this is why we're going to study. Are we in the days of Noah? Well, we might be in an era that's like Noah's. We might be up against some, some very noetic style life. But are we, in the end time, are we in the end of the era yet? No. Are we, are we at the time of Christ's coming yet? No. Are we right on the brink of it? Well, you have to keep coming to find out. Because that's what the study's about. So, but until then, here's the real question: What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? If you're all in for America, be all in. If you're all in on money, be all in. If you're all in on popularity, be all in. But if you're all in on Christ, look, He was all in for you. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become what? The children of God. Are you a child of God this morning? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you ready for his return? Because Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till when? Till he comes. The reason we're taking this this morning is he hasn't come yet. The future is still there. He's still the author, he's the author and finisher of faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it is quick and powerful, and Lord, it is knowable. And I thank you for the truth that is contained in your word. And Father, in the days and weeks ahead, as we look to your word to try to begin to interpret these passages of scripture that, that in some ways are controversial in other ways, uh, it's the very thing that's going to happen in the future. That father, we'd be able to rightly divide the word of truth as we study it together. And Lord, we ask for your discernment and knowing truth. And then father, when we know the truth, it sets us free to go into all the world and share the hope that's within us with meekness and fear. Fearing for their lives, but knowing the, the truth of what your word says. So, Father, help us to go out into the world this week and share the hope that us and others. We can hear because you are the hope. You are worth. You make life worth the living.